The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. All Ukraine is asking for is help for the weapons, munitions, the capacity, the capability to push invading Russian forces off their land and the air defense system to shoot down Russian missiles before they destroy Ukrainian cities. Let me be clear about something. We send Ukrainian equipment sitting in our stockpiles. And when we use the money allocated by Congress, we use it to replenish our own stores, our own stockpiles with new equipment. Equipment that, defeat, that defends America and is made in America. Patriot missiles for air defense batteries made in Arizona. Artillery shells manufactured in 12 states across the country in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Texas, and so much more. So much more. It's interesting. <laughs> he's, he's in Israel. There's this invasion of Israel. He's over in Israel. He's talking to Bibi Netanyahu, sending money to Hamas. And then he returns home for his 15-minute, I guess it's just the second time he's addressed the nation from the Oval Office, and uh, gives a speech mostly about Ukraine. Ukraine, of all places. The war that's been going on for, what now, 555 days. And I think it's interesting there, what he, uh, what he said. It, it confirms what Carolyn Glick said on this program just a, a week and a half ago, that when we support Ukraine, we're emptying out our own stockpiles. So all of this additional funding that we've got to put toward these, now these two war efforts, Ukraine and of course Israel going into Gaza, we're basically just resupplying our own stockpiles so that we can keep helping the world in these many wars. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on today's show. You can get to the live video stream of this, of course, at our own website, trumpetdaily.com. But also don't forget about the Rumble channel. If you visit Rumble, rumble.com forward slash trumpetdaily, just give us the thumbs up and join in on the live chat. Leave a, a, a nice comment after the fact and uh, help to uh, improve our rating overall. Lots to get to on today's show. You just want to step back and look at the bigger picture here. The world is burning as the world burns. And then here comes the fake president. He's in desperate need of a, of a presidential reboot. He needs to reboot his presidency because it's just been a disaster. He was out not that long ago trying to tell the country just how wonderful uh, the economy is. And, uh, of course, Americans aren't buying it. So now, I mean, you listen to it, he's risked his life. I mean, he flew into Ukraine, secretively got on a, a train for 10 hours, went into Kiev, and, of course, the sirens were blaring right on cue. Now he, he's kind of trying to portray himself as a wartime president, flying into Ukraine, flying into another war-torn region in Israel. There he is. Of course, it's the dear leader, as we've noted all week long on this show. It's the dear leader carrying out his fundamental transformation of the United States, which includes 
fundamentally transforming the Middle East, to hand it over to the mullahs in Iran. And their goal, their objective, is to destroy the Jews. All of this talk about a a two-state solution. There is a two-state experiment that's gone on now for 18 years, and it just blew up in Israel's face. Hamas-controlled, Palestinians-controlled every square inch of Gaza, and Israel was helping them with the 18,000 worker permits, opening the way for them to receive electricity and food and all kinds of supplies. Okay, we'll live side by side with you. Didn't work out very well. And then here comes Joe Biden. I mean, he's ready to spend, baby, spend. Another $100 billion dollars. How do you think that's going to go over with the American people? If there's one silver lining (laughs) to all the arguing going on in the House of Representatives right now, Jim Jordan failing, I think it's his third vote just earlier today. People voting, Republicans voting against him just to spite Matt Gaetz. They're so upset. They're so angry that Matt Gates, and of course, by listening to Newt Gingrich and others, you can see why they're angry. Matt, Gingrich is out there calling Gates a traitor. And so these rhino Republicans, I mean, they have drawn a firm line in the sand. And they're saying, Jim Jordan's not going to be the next speaker. It's got to be somebody else. They ought to stay in there. McCarthy went through 15 votes, as I recall. He, he stayed the course. We'll see what Jim Jordan does. He's got more conferences today, and we'll see if he holds firm or if he finally throws his hands up and says, well, I guess I can't be speaker. He should stay the course, show some resolve, show some firmness. If there's a silver lining, though, at least they can't just send 60-some billion dollars to Ukraine and then another 10, 12, 14 billion to Israel, billions upon billions, just all over the world. You, you listened to the fake president last night, and he's, he's like, hey, the United States, this is the same guy who just withdrew everything. Uh, he wanted to get out of Afghanistan so fast that he handed over $90 billion of armaments to the Taliban. Now, now he's a war hawk. Now he wants to, if there's any war on, on the planet, he wants to be a part of it. How do you even make sense of all this? How do you, well, if you know anything about Barack Hussein Obama, if you know anything about the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, if you know anything about what Obama wants for the Middle East, that's how you make sense of it. In in the case of the Middle East, hey, get out of Afghanistan because we're turning the whole neighborhood over to the mullahs. That's the plan. That's the plan. And of course, the mullahs are empowered. They're being enriched. They see this as their opportunity. And so here comes another regional war under Joe Obama's watch. And what does is, uh, what is, uh, the fake president promise? $61.4 billion to Ukraine, $14.3 billion for Israel, $7.4 billion uh, for Taiwan. Don't forget about Taiwan. And then uh, supposedly, supposedly $13.6 billion uh, for security at the southern border. I wonder where that money would go. I wonder what it would be used for. And, and oh, by the way, didn't we just hear two seconds ago that, at least from the Biden people, the border's perfect. It's never been, it's never been as secure as it's been under this administration. 
There's nothing. There's nothing in the speech about America's security. I guess there's figures that factor it in. We'll read more into that, I suppose, over the weekend. But what a strange time that we're in. (laughs) The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, it's worse than strange, of course. In the last days, Paul said, perilous times would be upon us. Joe Biden said last night, you know what? We can't ever give up on peace. We're never going to give up on peace. So we're going to give billions to Israel. We'll give a tenth of a billion to Hamas. We'll just give them all money. I'm surprised he's not giving funding to Putin. Fund Ukraine. Fund Putin. Just like you fund Hamas. Okay, if, if Hamas, if the similarity now is Hamas is similar to Putin, we'll give Putin money as well. You give Hamas money. You can't make sense of this unless you understand that there is an Antiochus. There is an Antiochus and there is a devil who wants to blot out even the name of Israel. You've seen it so many times before. America is under attack. America under attack. The 800 number, if you don't have a copy yet, 1-866-930-3024. million to Hamas. Listen to this White House spokesperson talk about how the funding and all of the humanitarian aid, how that it's going to get through those, those checkpoints, Rafa there with Egypt, and the Hamas authorities will take it, and surely, surely, they'll give it right over to the people because they love their own people, don't they? This is clip six. The president pledged $100 million in an aid package to Palestinian civilians, innocent civilians in Gaza and the West Bank. How is the United States going to ensure that none of that ends up in the hands of Hamas? Uh, Getting assistance into Gaza is a complicated undertaking. It involves uh, essentially securing an understanding among uh, Hamas fighters uh, who control the checkpoints on the other side of the border, among uh, the government of Israel and among the government of Egypt. Uh, And the agreement the president uh, secured will enable these trucks to flow as soon as the roadway can be repaired. But the president was also quite clear that if this assistance goes in, it cannot be uh, misappropriated, cannot be taken uh, by Hamas fighters for their own purposes. And so we're going to be watching that very closely. It has to get to Palestinian civilians who need it. It has to. But the question is, from what you just said, is the U.S. then essentially in a position where it has to take the word of Hamas that it will not be taken? I mean, what other guarantee can there be? We believe there is an understanding now among all of the uh, players who control that crossing. Oh, well, there's an understanding. I see. There's an understanding now that Hamas is not going to take the the humanitarian aid for themselves. What what guarantee do you have? You know what their guarantee is? Hamas said, we'll do it. The same people that said Israel blew up the hospital are now saying, oh, of course, you give us hundreds of millions of dollars and we'll make sure that our, our people benefit from that. This morning in class, we were going through the fifth commandment honor thy father and thy mother and your days will be long you'll be blessed it's the first commandment with promise paul said in ephesians 6 but i mentioned how we have a lecture in the second semester in marriage and family on how to bring peace into the family into the home 
Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Joe Biden, I mean, nations are just families grown large, as Mr. Mr. Herbert Armstrong used to always say. And Joe Biden is there last night saying, look, we, we will do anything for peace. These are little children who don't know how to make peace. There's a section in Hebrews 12, you should read the first half of that chapter, where it talks about how that God the Father punishes his children because he loves them. You need loving punishment from a father, a loving father, if you're going to be held in check, if you're going to grow up knowing that there ought to be a a built-in respect for authority, for law, for government. How has Hamas been punished? Tomorrow is, it's two weeks. Two weeks. These terrorists who have been trained their entire lives, it starts when they're little tiny tots on TV where they're taught to hate and kill Jews. And it continues in the school systems. And then when they get home from school, they get a steady diet of that from their parents as well. Parents are proud. They are proud to raise Jew haters in Palestinian households, in Hamas households. That's the truth. It's embedded into their their culture. So they they commit all of these horrific atrocities. 1,400 Israelis murdered. Well, lots of internationals too among the number. 200 hostages, 200 kidnapped. There was a Washington Post reporter this morning speaking of a mother in in Tel Aviv who lost two of her children, kidnapped. And this Post reporter, if if you can believe it, she said they were detained by Hamas. The, the children, they, they're just being held in detainment. They won't even say what's happening. They have the sanitized, ver- it's just like with the hospital. Did you know there's been something like 450 misfires? Just in this conflict alone, the most recent conflict, Hamas firing all these rockets. They build half of them with uh, water pipes that they dig up from underground. That's why they don't, they don't have running water. But they really care about the people. And listen, they've come to an understanding with the Biden administration. They're going to share. They're a benevolent people. They're going, they're going to share the hundred million, all the humanitarian goods with ordinary Palestinians. The thing that's just astounding in all of this is the spokespeople, the diplomats, the ambassadors for peace, that every time they just nod along and say, okay, we, we believe you. We, you uh, okay, IDF shot, shot up the hospital. We believe you. They, they take everything that Hamas says as the factual truth of the matter. And everything that Israel puts out, of course, there's automatic skepticism. The regime media has been fully exposed. I mean, really, we've been exposing them for years now. But look at the terrorist sympathizers, terrorist sympathizers that we have at CNN or the New York Times or the BBC, the BBC's coverage. It's just been appalling, but not surprising. The New York Times says here, the deal 
lays groundwork for aid to reach desperate Gazans, officials say. A hunt, they're desperate. And so the United States send money. How has Hamas been punished? So far, we're almost two weeks in. No ground invasion. There, there have just been the strategic, you know, military strikes from above coming from Israel. That's it. And Israel, of course, warning all of the civilians, look, you better head south. You better flee. We're taking out the Hamas infrastructure. But to this point, I mean, how has Hamas been punished? They haven't been. It says here, the possible breakthrough on aid delivery came amid protests in multiple countries after the explosion Tuesday night that killed hundreds of people at a hospital in Gaza. Well, we're not so sure now that it's even into the hundreds. There are some estimates coming back. It hit the parking lot next to the hospital. The hospital is still mostly intact. A Hamas misfire, one of 450, and your regime media immediately, and they continue with it. Anderson Cooper, he's confronted. Where is that? Can you play the uh, the Anderson Cooper exchange with uh, Naftali Bennett? I forget which number that is. This uh, hospital, in fact, its uh, parking lot was uh, hit definitely 100 percent by Islamic Jihad barrage uh, shot fired at the 6.59 p.m. We have three different videos from different angles showing it. We have the ballistics. We know that uh, an Israeli bomb would have created a cater, uh, crater which does not exist. We know that the propellant in the rocket, uh, because it was a long-term rocket uh, targeted for Israel, uh, so a lot of, uh, of, of that propellant was still in the rocket, which created a lot of fire. We have two Hamasniks talking to each other and saying and admitting that it is from uh, Islamic Jihad. So. Anderson, with all due respect, there aren't two sides to this. Not everything is two sides. And I have a feeling that if it wasn't the state of Israel, then I think the global media would have behaved very differently. We're simply saying we have not been able to independently verify the claims that that have been made. Still happened Tuesday night. And Anderson Cooper says, we, we just haven't been, we haven't been able to verify your side as opposed to Hamas. Bennett says before this clip started, he says, look, if, if, if it's raining outside, if someone, if one person says it's raining outside and another person says, no, it's not. Then, then go over to the window, open it up and look at what's happening. There's, there are not two. Well, we haven't been able to independently verify if it's actually raining or not. This is insanity. Just one statement. Give it to me once so that I can fall onto the floor in shock. You're right. We made a mistake. We, uh, the, the actual problem here, here is we didn't verify the lies that the Hamas propaganda machine put out as soon as the hospital parking lot went up in flames. But not even that. Nothing near that. He's saying to the Israeli, we, all that we're saying is that we just haven't had time to verify what you're telling us. And so the propaganda continues. The New York Times, I mean, they led the way. They led the way with this propaganda. It says the possible breakthrough on aid delivery came amid protests in multiple countries after the explosion Tuesday night 
that killed hundreds of people at a hospital in Gaza City. This is the New York Times today. This is this morning's paper. Hamas and its allies say it was an Israeli airstrike. So still, still, they, they got to put Hamas's version out there. They know Hamas is lying. Hamas says it was an airstrike. Israel says it was a malfunctioning rocket fired by Palestinian milits, militants. But, you know, how are we going to get to the truth? We just really haven't had time to verify either, either report, either side. There aren't two sides to this story. Bennett is exactly right. There's lying and there, there's the truth of what happened. And the regime doesn't like the truth. Because it makes Hamas look like the monsters that they are. They were firing a rocket. It, it was supposed to go into southern Israel. Instead, it hit their own hospital. And then they started to gather up ba dead babies and anywhere that they can find them. That makes you wonder about what's going on inside Gaza. Because the Hamas people had the big press. They're, out in, they're right outside the, the hospital. They've got piles of bodies all around. We'll assume they were dead. They, they have been known to fake deaths, to pretend that they got hit or that they have blood on their faces or whatever. It's all about the propaganda, so much of it. Because they know. They know the BBC and the New York Times will take it and run with it. They still do. They can't even, they can't even say... You know what? What we said initially on Tuesday, we got it wrong. This Times piece says here, on, uh, on a brief trip to Israel, President Biden said Wednesday that he had secured a commitment from Israel to allow food, water, and medicine to pass safely through the Rafah crossing as long as it did not reach Hamas. And, the Egypt, and that Egypt had said it would allow the initial convoy of 28 trucks. So the, the agreement... The agreement that they, they reached was that, you know, we just have to make sure this doesn't go to Hamas. Hamas controls the Strip, right? <laughs> it says here, earlier discussions around the opening of the crossing had included efforts to get foreign citizens out of Gaza. Listen to this. The out of Gaza, the EU and other Western officials said on uh, Thursday that there had been no progress on that front. They are approximately, there are approximately 350 to 400 Americans, 1,200 EU citizens, 300 Canadians, 200 British citizens, and 45 Australians in Gaza. They're trapped in Gaza. It's, it's a, hostage, a hostage crisis of epic proportions. You know, and, and speaking of hostage crises, or crises, I should say, I'm just looking for the little bit that I had on the Iran. Here it is. I mean, that, when that happened back in uh, 1979, that received around-the-clock coverage. These American hostages, uh, what, 60 of them, trapped in the American embassy in Iran, it went on for 400 and some odd days, and eventually, I mean, it, it had a hand in bringing down the Carter administration because he was so weak. And the Americans were furious as they were updated the, on this hostage situation. But now, you see, the, the regime media, they're not so concerned about a hostage situation. In fact, they'll even call it just a, a detainment. That's right. Two children of a mom in Tel Aviv, they were detained by Hamas. 
And then you have Joe Biden, for his part, a national address. Just a passing reference to the hostages saying that, yeah, we're doing everything we can to get them out. But hey, 64 billion to Ukraine. How about that? Who could have imagined a speech primarily about Ukraine at a time like this? Given what's happened in, I'm not saying there isn't a war going on in Ukraine, but now 64 billion more? Donald Trump, I think, was on to something when he called it the swamp, when he said it was the deep state, when he said the system was broken. It is broken, going back to the Oval Office address from last evening. Here's the, uh, the fake president, number three. Earlier this year, I boarded Air Force One for a secret flight to Poland. There I boarded a train with blacked out windows for a 10-hour ride each way to Kiev to stand with the people of Ukraine ahead of the one-year anniversary of their brave fight against Putin. And I'm told I was the first American to enter a war zone not controlled by the United States military since President Lincoln. With me was just a small group of security personnel and a few advisors. But when I exited that train and met Zelensky, President Zelensky, I didn't feel alone. I didn't feel alone. And when I, when I asked Zelensky to turn on the sirens for the photo op, I wasn't afraid. Everything was staged. Everything's fake. He, well, he's, this is, you talk about refashioning your image. This is Lincoln now. This is FDR. This is a wartime president that's just shoveling billions and billions and billions of dollars that America doesn't have abroad into Ukraine, over to Taiwan, into Israel. Why stop there? I mean, there's plenty of conflict going on in Africa. Send billions more. How, how long does this continue? You know it's not sustainable. Everyone knows it's unsustainable. But here is Barack Obama. He's carrying out his fundamental transformation, even as the fake president is trying to salvage his part in this sinister plan. In the New York Post, Biden's primetime address isn't about Israel. It's for all his terrible poll numbers. He couldn't, he couldn't sell the public on the perfect economy. So now he's on to this. And he can't get this to get any, any traction either. It says President Biden has problems, which is probably what drove him to schedule a big televised speech. <laughs> he gives the 15-minute speech, and then Britt Hume comes out and says it's the best speech he's given. Now, okay, whatever you say. Look, look at these, look at these Republicans. All that they can agree upon is their hatred for Donald Trump. They, they can't even agree on Jim Jordan. He's too, he's too conservative. It's just going gonna, gonna to let Matt Gates win. We can't have that happen. Isaiah 3 says we're being led by a bunch of children. You're seeing it on both sides, aren't you? Sitting down with the Hamas representative saying, now look, we need to get an understanding here. We need to get an understanding that when we give you $100 million, you're going to use it for good things. These are the people that just butchered 1,400 civilians and raped and tortured and kidnapped another 200. So the children sit down with the terrorists and say, hey, you've got you've to work with us a little bit here. And Hamas, 
right on cue says, hey, listen, we're your partners. We'll work with you on this. And the Obama people, they give the hundred million out. They keep giving the billions to Iran. I mean, we give billions to everybody. And then, and then to say, as he said last night, you know, we will do anything for peace. We'll do anything for peace. You can hardly stand to listen to it because it's so childish. It's so naive. It's so dangerous and reckless. The world is burning. The world is going up in flames. The New York Post says, he only glanced over Ukraine in the latest State of the Union. And the point that the Post is making is that, you know, this is really the first time after 555 days that Biden has even laid out his policy with respect to why shoveling billions and billions and billions of dollars into Ukraine. It says here, the, the president struggles to crack two-thirds approval within his own party. That's not surprising given how the world situation has deteriorated with him in office. The Taliban controlling Afghanistan, Russia attacking Ukraine, Hamas massacring civilians in Israel. This has all just happened in the last two years. His tour to promote Bidenomics just reminded people who struggle to pay the bills who they should blame. They see what the problem is here. That's why his poll numbers keep plummeting. This is from the New York Times. The president delivered the speech as his administration braces for opposition to his request for $74 billion in assistance for the two countries. That would be Ukraine and and now Israel. The money would pay for weapons and other military equipment as Israel responds to the October 7 attacks. The president's efforts build support for, for a, ma- a major projection of American influence abroad come against the backdrop, backdrop of a deeply fractured population at home. Well, on and on it goes. And meanwhile, Iran is sitting behind the scenes, getting everything that it wants. It loves a destabilized Middle East region. It loves it when Hamas starts getting sympathy. And then you've got some unrest taking, taking to the streets in, uh, in Saudi Arabia, in Egypt, in Jordan. There was a scene this morning with a reporter in the West Bank, these Palestinians in the West Bank, just screaming at the CNN reporter. I mean, this has stirred up a lot of rage worldwide. And you can thank the regime media for much of it. When they go on and on for six, eight straight hours, Israel's strike on the hospital. Israel's strike on the hospital. Israel's strike. Grabian put together a a montage just the other day about how the media (laughs) jumped on that story. And I mean, they were relentless. That's clip number seven. Play that. The government in Gaza says the Israeli Defense Forces uh, struck a hospital in the center of Gaza City. An airstrike hit a Gaza City hospital, killing at least 500 people. It's because of an alleged Israeli airstrike on a hospital in Gaza that Hamas health officials say killed more than 500 people. And when you're talking about 500 people, you have to wonder how many of those people are innocent civilians. That minimum, hundreds of people have been killed in what they say was an Israeli airstrike. Where a hospital was caved in, killing hundreds and stranding an untold number under the concrete. By far, 
the deadliest Israeli airstrike ever. Hundreds taking shelter at a Gaza City hospital were killed in an Israeli airstrike today. Israel says it was targeting Hamas hideouts. Palestinian officials saying at least 500 people killed in what they claim was an Israeli airstrike. Aftermath of an alleged airstrike on a Gaza hospital that killed more than 500 people. An Israeli missile struck the hospital. Absolutely horrific loss of life. This is not the first time violence has actually hit what's supposed to be, obviously, a place of healing. Deadly explosion at a hospital in Gaza. Palestinian officials say hundreds were killed and they're blaming Israel. This was not a blast. Uh, this was not an explosion. This was an airstrike. It was a deliberate war crime that Israel conducted on this hospital. At least two to three hundred people killed in that strike and many, many, many more feared dead. Now, Hamas is calling this a genocide. 200 to 300 people uh, believed to be dead at this stage. There are also many examples of, uh, you know, of civilian deaths caused directly by Israel. There's no doubt about it. In the fog of war, what can we say for sure? The Baptist Hospital in Gaza City, that's the northern half of Gaza, has taken a direct hit from an Israeli airstrike. They are saying at minimum, at minimum, 300 people are dead. This uh, airstrike story will surely go down as one of the, the biggest media malpractice cases in history. One guy there said the deadliest Israeli airstrike ever, and it never happened. It didn't even happen. Look at, look at, another one, he wasn't in the montage, but another one, I think it was in in the UK, saying, well, judging by the size of the explosion, uh, this had to be an Israeli missile. Yeah, it couldn't have been, couldn't have been one of the, the rockets from Hamas. Couldn't be anything else. Couldn't be that there was a storehouse of uh, explosives underneath that hot, nothing like that. In this guy's mind, he looked at the explosion on the screen, you see, and said, well, it's obvious. Israel's guilty. (laughs) And Naftali Bennett, he presses Anderson Cooper. And what does Cooper say? Look, all we said is that uh, it's not verifiable, your side of the story. So in the interest of getting both sides, we've, we've got to put the Hamas statement out there as well. They happily publicize lies particularly when it's coming from the side that they sympathize with. You know, the other team that's playing against Israel. You know, there's two sides in this sporting event. You've got the Israeli team. And then, as the fake president said the other day, then you've got the other team. The other team that we've, we've reached an understanding with. The Washington Examiner, an Associated Press reporter in Gaza, was removed from his duties after a series of inflammatory social media posts regarding Israel came to light. This, the Associated Press, I mean, they've, they've, their wire service goes to newspapers all over the world. So if the, if the AP says it was an Israeli airstrike, that's picked up by newspapers all over the world. It says here, this is from the Jerusalem Post on the number of deaths at that hospital. The number of deaths at the uh, Al-Hali Arab hospital caused by the misfired Palestinian Islamic Jihad missile. And you heard Bennett earlier. He brought the receipts. Listen, we've got three camera angles. Uh, It happened at 659. Uh, We've got two two Hamas uh, terrorists who admitted in an interview that it was a misfire. We've got this. We've got that. We've got proof. The number of deaths 
may have been grossly misrepresented by local sources, according to Thursday reports from a number of independent intelligence sources, as well as European news sources. Local Hamas-run Gazan sources allege that 471 people were killed at the hospital. Foreign independent intelligence sources claimed instead that the number was closer to between 10 and 50. 10, any loss of life is a, a sad thing, but 10? What if it ends up being even less than 10? It was, after all, a parking lot. A parking lot. Blew up. Went in flames. If cars were there, you could see how the the fuel tanks would have caused more of a fiery explosion. But there, there are the talking heads gleefully, gleefully reporting that Israel, of course, is to blame. I gave you some headlines just the other day. Politicians have a responsibility to verify propaganda. Israeli officials say government cannot confirm. This is the way they treated the baby beheading stories. That the, the, the regime media, very skeptical on that one. Now, now, how can we know for sure that reporter that was on the scene that was interviewing all of those IDF uh, inspectors that were going house to house, that were coming out and keeling over in sickness at what they saw, But how can the regime media be certain that any beheading actually, surely Hamas wouldn't behead little babies. Look at the way they they approach these many stories. And of course now the big story, as Sam has been saying to me (laughs) off air, you know, if, if Israel doesn't get moving, they're, they're, they're all, I mean, the, now the trucks have to get in to deliver the humanitarian aid. So we've got to at least have a semi ceasefire here so that the trucks don't blow up. Then you had Biden for his part. Obama sends him over at the last minute this past week. For what? Israel, I mean, Israel is either taking its time because of how extensive this ground invasion is going to be, or it's being pressured not to act not to take out the Hamas infrastructure. You'll hear now, you'll hear now a lot about proportion. Is the response from Israel disproportionate? Douglas Murray, he's a, he's a commentator in uh, the UK. He's someone who's clearly upset by the BBC angle or coverage to the event in uh, in Israel or the events as they're playing out. Listen to how he <laughs> he answers back on this subject of proportion. Clip nine. Is that and while raining down missiles on buildings which they know are going to kill civilians, we know hundreds and hundreds of civilians have already died, many of them children. Is that a reasonable, proportionate and moral response by Israel? There is some deep perversion in Britain whenever Israel is involved in a conflict, and it is the word you just used, proportion, proportionate, proportionality. Only Britain is really obsessed with this. I've heard it for the last few days incessantly. Proportionality in conflict rarely exists. But if we were to decide that we should have this fetish about proportionality, then that would mean that in retaliation for what Hamas did in Israel on Saturday, Israel should try to locate a music festival in Gaza, for instance, and 
good luck with that, should try to find a music festival in Gaza and rape precisely the number of women that Hamas raped on Saturday. Kill precisely the number of young people that Hamas killed on Saturday. They should find a town uh, of exactly the same size as a town like Starot, where I've been many times myself, and make sure they go to door to door and kill precisely the correct number of babies that Hamas killed in Starot on Saturday, and shoot in the head precisely the same number of old age pensioners as were shot in Starot on Saturday, just to choose one town. Proportionality in conflict is a joke. It is a joke. They hold, and Naftali Bennett brought this out in his exchange with Cooper. I have a feeling that if this was any other country in the world, in the world, there's no talk of proportionality when Ukraine's responding to Russian aggression. Only little Israel, only little Israel. Yesterday on the show, we played those clips from the dear leader one of his first major trips abroad, the big, the much-anticipated speech in, uh, in Cairo, where Obama's people invited the Muslim Brotherhood. I mean, Mubarak at the time must have thought, what is going on? Is this a, a U.S. administration reaching out to terrorist groups, befriending the terrorists? Well, look at how he befriended the mullahs cleared the way for them to pursue a nuclear bomb. There's still a clear path. This is Obama from Cairo in 2009, clip five. On the other hand, it is also undeniable that the Palestinian people, Muslims and Christians, has suffered in pursuit of a homeland. For more than 60 years, they've endured the pain of dislocation. Many wait in refugee camps in the West Bank, Gaza, and neighboring lands for a life of peace and security that they have never been able to lead. They endure the daily humiliations, large and small, that come with occupation. So let there be no doubt, the situation for the Palestinian people is intolerable. And America will not turn our backs on the legitimate Palestinian aspiration for dignity, opportunity, and a state of their own. Two-state solution. They, they always say it's a solution. That this will finally solve the problem of little Palestinian children growing up on a steady diet of hate and murder Jews. If they only could get their own state. They've got one in Gaza. They've got a mini state there in Gaza, but look, we got to give it to them in, in the West Bank as well. And then you got Hezbollah up north and you've got Iran behind all the proxies. You've got Israel hemmed in. And then you want to talk about solutions, the final solution. And the mullahs make no bones about it. That's why, you know, that's why, you know, this is the solution that Barack Hussein Obama envisions. You can finally bring peace to the Middle East if, as the mullahs say, we can wipe Israel off the map. Sundance says the Obama-Biden, or Joe-Bama as we call them, they want a two-state solution for Israel and the Palestinians. He says, I believe all efforts are underway to exploit 
the, the October 7 terrorist attack to advance that agenda. Netanyahu is being carefully painted into a position where the survival of Israel will be contingent upon accepting this two-state solution, which essentially means, in the long picture, the elimination of the Israeli state. He's exactly right about this. Listen, this is not, as I've said this week, this is not Obama appeasing terrorist-sponsoring nations. This is Obama joining sides with them. Obama knows what the mullahs want. Obama knows what Hamas wants. Obama knows what Hezbollah wants. He knows what Mahmoud Abbas wants. This world needs to receive truth as opposed to propaganda and lies. It never ceases to amaze, to amaze me how many very educated and smart people will just blatantly, audaciously lie. They'll rush to the microphone in order to spew lies. And then when exposed, they fall back on, well, hey, there's, you know, there is a perception that's out there and we're just trying to get both sides. And all that we're really saying is that we couldn't verify anything. The two-state solution essentially means the elimination of the Israeli state. So now you've got all that chatter. That's back into the discourse this week. Yeah, forget about Israel and all those victims. What we need, we need humanitarian aid to Hamas. We need, they need $100 million. And we need to handcuff Israel. And we need to get back to discussing a two-state solution. And Biden did just last night. This is clip four. And the people of Gaza urgently need food, water, and medicine. Yesterday, in discussions with the leaders of Israel and Egypt, I secured an agreement for the first shipment of humanitarian assistance from the United Nations to Palestinian civilians in Gaza. If Hamas does not divert or steal this shipment, these shipments, we're going to provide an opening for sustained delivery of life-saving humanitarian assistance for the Palestinians. As I said in Israel, as hard as it is, we cannot give up on peace. We cannot give up on a two-state solution. That's Obama talking. You heard it in 2009. There's Obama giving him the script last night. Look, the, you know who needs help after this this horrific atrocity on October 7. You know who needs help here? It's the Palestinian people. It's the same sentiment of all the protesters right around the world as they take to the streets, not to support Israel in this time of trial and test, but the Palestinians. We're not going to give up on peace. And peace, the only way forward for peace is two states side by side living together in peace. Hamas has already proven that's impossible. That's not going to happen. But you listen to the talking heads. They take it. They take what the dear leader says, and they run with it. This was Joe Scarborough earlier today, clip 10. And I say this as a strong supporter of Israel, Meek. I've always said this, that we need a two-state solution, not just for the Palestinian people. Right. But also for the safety and long-term security of the Israeli people can't do that with a terrorist organization next door with like Hamas. So I get it. You couldn't negotiate with Hamas. 
But whoever replaces Hamas, if it is a, a U.N. slash Arab peacekeeping force mm-hmm. and, and there is a, a leadership there, they need to work for a two state solution there and in the West Bank. Pleasant phrases, two state solution. It all sounds so. Whoever replaces Hamas, maybe it's some you. We don't know quite what it be. It would be an experiment, uh, really. I mean, they're they're talking in all these what ifs, what might, what what could happen, and then just saying if they could somehow get a state in the West Bank or the West Bank and the Gaza Strip or somehow join together, maybe Israel gives up a a little strip of its southern region. Then, then. If there's complete autonomy in the West Bank, then there's peace. No, no. What happens then is they receive rockets and ammunition and firepower from the number one terror-sponsoring nation in the world. And this is exactly what the mullahs want. It's also what the dear leader wants. This is in America under attack. It says here, Obama decided to choose the Islamic Republic as a partner and to use tactics typically employed by third world uh, police states because he wants to blot out both the Jewish state and America. See, if you understand the spiritual dimension to all of this, it's perfectly clear. The spirit of Antiochus, it wants to blot out even the name of Israel, whether it's America, Britain, or little Judah. It says here, like the ancient Seleucid king Antiochus, he is empowered by the devil to destroy the people of Israel through flattery and deceits that lead to violence. Any man who tries to blot out the name of Israel is a type of Antiochus. That's in America under attack. One eight six six nine three zero three zero two four. Isn't it amazing? how people, even conservatives, who are out there saying, look, we just need two states, and then everything's solved. Everything is solved. I mean, even when you analyze the wording, you're getting a steady diet of propaganda. It's not a two-state solution. It's a two-state experiment. And the result of that experiment just blew up in Israel's face 13 days ago. Side by side with Hamistan, right next door, right next door, Israel giving them electricity, work, water, food, supplies. And how did uh, Hamas return the favor? With rockets, a barrage of rockets, and an audacious attack. Early Saturday morning, October 7, 2023. This is something they had been training for. This is something they had been really eagerly anticipating. The day to kill a mass number of Jews. Jewish civilians, children, grandma. And they carried it out in all of its brutality and horror. Look at what man experiments with over and over and over again. And even when all the evidence proves it's just a disastrous failure all over again, they dust off the same policies, 
and they come out with the same verbiage. It's the same speech last night that you heard in Cairo in 2009, 14 years ago. It's the Palestinians who are oppressed. It's the Palestinians who are suffering. It's the Israelis who kill babies. It's the Palestinians who need a state. Jeremiah 10 and verse 23, I can just conclude with this. The prophet says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct, to direct his steps. And so the prophet says in verse 24, O Lord, correct me, but with judgment, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. We need correction. We need correction from God. Read Hebrews 12. I referred to that earlier in the segment. Read it. It says God, he meets out loving, just punishment to sons because he wants to keep us within the bounds of his laws. He wants for us to grow up honoring the father and the mother and then showing honor, honor toward God himself. Jesus said the two great commands, it's to love God above all else, to put him first in everything in our lives. And then the second command is just like it. This is in Matthew 22. The second command, the second great command is just like the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This, this is the solution to all the problems of this world. And look, don't feel like it's just some out of sight goal that we're pursuing. God's government is about to be established on this earth, headed up by Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he'll be administering that government and upholding those perfect and just and holy laws that are the Ten Commandments. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on today's show. We thank you for joining us all week, and we'll see you next time. <music>